0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. This morning we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, reading the first seven verses, uh, perhaps before doing so. Uh, just a word of introduction. This is probably Paul's uh, last letter written to his young protégé Timothy, his son in the faith. Uh, A man uh, noted for his timidity, uh, someone who needs uh, a fair bit of encouragement as a result of that. And uh, in this letter, Paul is doing a great deal Uh, to uh, encourage the young Timothy, and I'm sure uh, there's a lot here uh, for all of us uh, this morning. Reading then in 2 Timothy and chapter 2 from verse uh, 1, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord Lord will give you insight into all this. Now then, uh, faced with the demanding task of mission, Uh, The believer's response uh, can, I would suggest to you, drift in uh, one of two extremes. Either we say, I can manage this with consummate ease, uh, mission, uh, no problem uh, whatsoever. Uh, There are others who may well respond, well, I'm not very gifted. Uh, There's no point in me even trying to accomplish Uh, anything uh, for God. Two quite different extremes, and I would suggest that Timothy uh, tended towards the second of these. And you'll notice that Paul in this chapter begins by drawing Timothy's attention away from himself. Verse 1, he says, "...be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ." He is not encouraging Timothy to enter the fantasy world of paperback heroes, but to allow God's resources to equip him for the task to which he's been called. And the enabling grace that Paul describes is a necessary reminder to all of us that it is God who is at work in our lives. What does Paul say in Ephesians 3.20? Now to him who is able to do uh, immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Becoming a Christian is not entering the let's pretend world of Walter Mitty but recognizing a new reality that we can indeed access the resources of the indwelling Christ. God doesn't force his strength upon us. But as we reach out to him in faith, we find his hand in ours. The Christian life then is a tension between God's strengthening and our making his strength our own. Hence the command here to be strong in Christ's grace. Now, Timothy's timid personality was in danger, I would suggest, of sucking him into a survivalist Christianity. And so, with good reason, he is reminded in verse 2 that he has been tasked with a particular strategy for church growth. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, the kingdom was to be expanded as the gospel baton was passed on from teacher to student who in turn becomes a teacher instructing a new set of of students. Now the apostle's vision statement evaporates if we settle for survival Christianity, a Christianity that is inward looking, a Christianity that fails to uh, address the, uh, the needs of proclaiming the gospel in difficult circumstances. And so Paul provides Timothy, and as I would suggest, with three pictures that are designed to focus our thinking on what Christian service entails. And the first analogy that we are presented with is that of a good soldier. You'll see in verse 3, and the picture of the soldier that Paul has in mind isn't that of a bungling comic hero from dad's army, but someone who formed a strategic part of a war machine. The Greek city-state of Sparta was legendary in Paul's day for the quality of its uh, fighting men. And their greatest shame was desertion, abandoning their weapons as they fled the field. Uh, So much so that Spartan women told their husbands before battle, either come back with your shield or come back on your shield. That's the choice. Don't desert." And Paul wants uh, his beloved Timothy to endure the hardship of battle rather than forsake it. Christians aren't called to be chocolate soldiers who melt under fire, but soldiers who will endure the heat of battle. And you say that's not easy, and you're right, it's not. But our ability to endure is strengthened by the single mindedness that is mentioned in verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Think about it. Would the Roman Empire have extended as far as it did if their soldiers? attempted to sell Uncle Felix's farm equipment uh, from town to town as they marched along uh, the road. Of course not. Anything that distracts from the task entrusted to us endangers our mission. Uh, the word uh, translated as involved here in verse 4 is literally entangled. It was the word that was used to describe matted hair through which a comb could not easily pass. Uh, I remember when our uh, daughter was young and had long hair uh, and she was trying to brush it. uh, There were days when she said, "'It's tuggy! My hair's tuggy! I can't get the brush through!' That's the word that Paul has in mind here, entangled. Uh, The absence of single-mindedness creates impediments. It creates tugs which hinder the work of mission. Do you remember our Lord's journey to the cross at Jerusalem? And he is described as one who set his face as a flint. No deviation. No distraction. That's the kind of single-mindedness the apostle has in mind here. Thirdly, the good soldier seeks to please his commanding officer. Well, when a soldier signs up, he's actually signing away his uh, right to live an independent life. Uh, He doesn't, for example, say to his commanding uh, officer, uh, let's sit down and and discuss those commands of yours, and then I'll give some thought to how how many of them I might be prepared uh, to implement. Uh, He wouldn't dream of doing uh, such a thing. He is called to unquestioning obedience. Well, how much more ought the soldier of Jesus submit to the instruction of his commanding officer? Our desire, our desire to please the Lord Jesus reflects measures our understanding of his lordship over our lives. Paul himself states his goal elsewhere. He says, we make it our aim to please him. Uh, That's Paul's motto. We make it our aim uh, to please him. might make us the objects of painful criticism. Eric Liddell, uh, who was, as I'm sure you know, a winner of the Olympic gold medal, was criticized uh, for wasting his time running. And uh, he responded in this way, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. There is no greater encouragement for the Christian uh, exposed to all sorts of criticism because of his obedience to Christ to feel the pleasure of his Father in heaven. Uh, think of the encouragement that Jesus received on more than one occasion. This is my beloved son in whom i 'm well pleased. He felt the father 's pleasure. The second analogy is that of an athletic competitor, verse five Ephesus, where Timothy was based, held uh, an athletic games annually. And to participate in in those games, according to the rules, uh, the athlete uh, had to promise, take an oath, that they had taken their training seriously. It was deemed presumptuous to participate without rigorous preparation. And so, Timothy, God's athlete, is encouraged to discipline, to train himself in godliness. What might this disciplined spiritual training look like? Well, first of all, this discipline is costly. The serious athlete, in contrast with the fun runner, will make significant sacrifices to gain the prize— uh, two basic disciplines, prayer and Bible study, are referred to in this epistle. 1-3, uh, we have prayer, Two fifteen, uh, the study of God's Word. They, more than any other, reveal the health and the vigor of our spiritual uh, life. Uh, you may well say, building these things uh, into our daily uh, timetable isn't easy. And it's not important, but not easy. And that was certainly the experience of Charles Simeon, uh, an influential Christian figure uh, in uh, Cambridge University at the turn of the 18th into the 19th uh, century. And his biographer writes this of him, Early rising didn't come easy to him. Uh, It was his habit uh, resolutely fought for and acquired. Finding himself too fond of his bed, I suppose if you're at university, uh, maybe more so if you're a student than a lecturer, uh, this rings a bell. Uh, Finding himself too fond of his bed, he resolved to pay a fine for every offense, giving half a crown to his servant. One morning he caught himself reasoning that this good woman was poor and would find half a crown very useful. He purposed, therefore, that if he rose late, he would throw a guinea into the water. He did this only once. Guineas were not abundant in his purse, and he looked on them as the Lord's money. Here was a man who was determined to build this costly discipline uh, into his life. But the second thing to notice about the athlete is that this discipline is something that is self-imposed. Unlike the soldier, the athlete has no sergeant major breathing down his neck, pulling him out of bed. Uh, Some of you may well remember the days when parents uh, did precisely that. But when you move away from home, there's nobody pulling you out of bed. Uh, Well then, the Christian is called to self-discipline. And I suspect that's something that is out of fashion in our own self-indulgent age. And why should that be such a struggle? It is a struggle. Uh, Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary in the southern part of uh, India, uh, came up with this analysis in poetic form of her own uh, heart condition. God, she says, harden me against myself, the coward with pathetic voice. Who craves for ease and rest and joy, myself arch traitor to myself, my hollowest friend, my deadliest foe, my clog, whatever road I go. She struggled with self-discipline. She recognized the war that waged within. She recognized the temptation to give in to self just a little bit, now and again, occasionally, and saw where that led her. Thirdly, spiritual discipline is a long-term investment. Uh, Sometimes with no immediate, apparent benefit, uh, we can be tempted to live for the big event But shun the hard preparation uh, that needs to go on beforehand. Ask any Olympic athlete to describe their four hours, uh, their four years rather of preparation. I don't know if you've seen any of these TV programs about uh, those who have prepared uh, for their medal winning performance. Swimmers up at five in the morning to put in uh, two hours of swimming Day after day after day, four years in the trot, and you think, "Wow, that is a long term investment." Paul himself came to recognize the value of such uh, preparation. You may remember after his conversion, he was all set uh, to begin his preaching tour uh, to get the tent out and have his evangelistic campaigns move up and down. The uh, not just the country, but uh, the better part of known Europe. Uh, But God whisked him away into the wilderness, fourteen years of preparation before his uh, three strategic missionary journeys. E.M. Bounds famously said. It takes 20 years to make a sermon because it takes 20 years for God to make a man. All the moral muscle and the spiritual sinew produced by the spiritual exercise of our youth will pay rich dividends throughout the course of our lives how uh, the students amongst us need to grapple with that it is so easy is it not to say uh, we'll put off all this business of uh, reading scripture and getting involved in prayer until after the degree or after my doctorate or after I get married or after the first child comes along, or after the children get married, and so it gets pushed and pushed and pushed off into the future. Thirdly, the analogy of the farmer in verse 6. Why does Paul stress the need to be like a hard-working farmer? Well, Timothy lived in a society that was increasingly absorbed with leisure. And today's society is no different from that. Hard work is frowned upon. The hard working student is ridiculed. The hard working office worker is despised. The hard working Christian is branded a fanatic. When George Whitfield was chided for his preaching workload, he replied, I'd rather wear out than rust out. It is difficult to work hard in a society that is consumed with leisure. And Paul challenges this social trend of his day. Hard work needs to be stressed because fallen man has lost his sense of of vacation. Man was made for work, just as cars are made for driving. uh, What a waste it would be uh, to buy a car and then just to leave it to rust for years in your back garden. The word Paul uses for work is used to describe his own ministry and Colossians 1 and 29, where the word is translated as toil. And he writes, for this I toiled, striving with all of the energy God mightily inspires in me. So this word work or toil means to labor to the point of weariness. Uh, Isn't that what farmers do? Uh, I've not met any lazy farmers. I'm sure there must be some, but I've not met any. Labor to the point of weariness. Uh, There's no shortcut for hard work in Christian service. The power of the Holy Spirit does not normally rest on laziness. God's work will bring pain, not just in terms of suffering and opposition, but pain to our minds and pain to our bodies. Uh, secondly, in the New Testament, the hardworking farmer is characterized by patience Uh, James says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. We live in an age that demands instant results. This is found in the Christian church. Uh, Murray McShane was conscious of that. His great concern was that in his early ministry, there was a lack of response to his preaching. Why don't people respond? And his biographer writes, It seems to have been part of the Lord's dealings with him, thus to teach him to persevere in duty and in faith. Even when there was no obvious success, the arrow that was yet to wound hundreds was receiving its point, but lay in the quiver for a time. The Lord seemed to be touching his own heart and melting it by what he spoke to others, rather than touching or melting the hearts of those he spoke to. Paul further makes it clear that the hard-working farmer benefits from his hard work. He is the first, he says, to share or to receive share of the crops. Uh, Psalm 126 speaks of this, doesn't it? Uh, the one who goes out to, to plant uh, in tears will come back, uh, bearing those sheaves with joy, with great joy. Hard Backbreaking work that exhausts and produces aching muscles and tears is instantly viewed as worthwhile when the harvest is brought in. Now, apply that to the hard slog of Christian service and outreach, be it to the Aspire Project or work in the Sunday school or Christian Union or hot chocolate or Eagle's Wings, wherever our involvement might be, it's hard, back-breaking work. And it can be a painful business. But surely all of that is forgotten at harvest time. Once the unsought joys of Christian, one of the unsought joys of Christian service is to see others whom we have helped to bring to faith or to positions of maturity as Christians. Writing to the Philippians, Paul called such people the crown of his rejoicing. He knew about hard work. He knew about suffering in terms of mission. But writing to this people, he says, you are the crown of my rejoicing. Samuel uh, Rutherford, uh, minister at Anworth, was imprisoned in Aberdeen for his faithfulness to Christ. And he wrote words that have been uh, impressed very vividly in my mind and heart. He says, heaven were twice heaven for me if but one soul from Anworth were standing by my side. Heaven is twice heaven. Just to see one other that I have spoken to, that I have preached to, that I have corresponded with. Who has responded to that message. Uh, standing next to me there in heaven. Well, then, the three pictures that Paul provides of the Christian servant, uh, certainly I would submit challenge uh, what we have described as survival Christianity, a failure to engage uh, with the world and its need. They help to sharpen the focus of our Christian service. They are uh, undoubtedly demanding, but the expectations that are unpacked here are not unrealistic because the resources required can be accessed in the storeroom of God's grace that is found in our hearts, the heart of every believer. What does the hymn writer encourage us to do? He says, think what spirit dwells within you. What a father's love is thine. Grasp the resources. See what's there. Employ what God has given you. Revel in the wonder of God's love for you and then engage in the mission to which he's called you. God does not make unreasonable or unrealistic demands of us. Now, I know we're not all called to hold office in the church, but we are all called, if we're believers, to advance the mission of the church in dependence upon the grace that God provides. Let's pray. Our gracious Father under God, we thank you for your word and we are conscious constantly of the temptation to engage in survival Christianity, to disengage from the world, to draw back, to Look for uh, an easier, less demanding form of Christian witness and lifestyle. Help us afresh this morning, not only to see and to focus upon what you have called us to, but to grasp the wonder of the resources that are ours in Christ Jesus. Uh, to be that soldier uh, who brings pleasure to his commanding officer, to be the athlete who uh, runs according to the rules uh, to win the prize, to be the hard-working farmer who will uh, rejoice as partaker of first fruit of that harvest. For this we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk for information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas org Thanks for listening.